It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hope you've had a wonderful and reflective Memorial Day weekend. Thank you for listening each week. While Trey was guest hosting Fox News Tonight last week, he spoke with Senator Tim Scott and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis following their individual 2024 presidential campaign announcements. Several of you have requested to hear these interviews. So on this special edition of the podcast, you will hear both. We hope you enjoy, and we'll be back again next week with the Trey Gowdy Podcast. We'll see you then. Welcome to you, Senator Tim Scott. Uh, thank you for joining us. You know, I leave the state for one day, and you announce that you're running for president <laughs> of the United States. All right, let me ask yes, you sir. this. <laughs> are there policy differences? I mean, there, there are other candidates announced and some other candidates that may get in the race. Are there is this a matter of policy differences or is it a, a difference in implementing or communicating those policies that might be shared? Well, well thank you, Trey. I, I do think this is a, a difference in how we communicate. There's no question that my life disproves the lies of the radical left. Their culture of victimhood is eating away at the soul of America. I understand brokenness. I understand having low esteem. I understand nearly failing out of school. But I also understand that we do not live in a nation of grievance. We live in a nation of greatness. So allowing the life story to impact how we share the gospel of good news of conservative values, conservative principles with the American people. That's the power of persuasion, having lived the story myself. I believe that makes me uniquely qualified to push back on the radical left. You know, Senator, I mean, it's been happening since you and I met each other. I'm a complete cynic and you almost make me feel hopeful. Uh, the, The country is frustrated. It's angry. It's scared. So I mean, that's what the polling indicates. I mean, 75 percent of the country thinks that we are headed in the wrong direction. So can a what I call a happy warrior prevail in an environment given the mood of the country and the primary voters? Absolutely. Everywhere I travel around the country, from Iowa to New Hampshire and throughout South Carolina, people are starving for hope. They're starving for something optimistic, but they have to know you have a backbone and you're talking about conservative values, conservative principles and conservative policies. When people understand that you can be both, yes, optimistic, but strong with a backbone, they are attracted to this campaign. And so we're hoping to get across this country to continue to share our message. You can go to votetimscott.com to get involved. My guess, Senator, is that you were otherwise busy today and you missed the view. Uh, But I am going to play. uh, If I'm wrong, stop me and I won't play the clip. But my guess is that you did not hear Sonny Hostin. So I'm going to play a clip for you and then ask you a question on the other side. One of the issues that Tim Scott um, has is that he seems to think because I made it, Everyone can make it, ignoring, again, the fact that he is the exception and not the rule. And until he is I, the rule, he has- then he can stop talking about systemic racism. But I do think he... 
You know, um, she seems to have made it too. By the way, I mean, she's a former federal yes. prosecutor who's got who's got a talk show. So I mean, I think she's doing pretty good. Also, if she speaks to a broader Absolutely. point, and, and and I know you don't like talking about it, but but there are things that are said about you that will not be said about any other candidate, and that's always been the case as a black Republican. Yep. That you are judged in ways that other candidates are not. So. Here's the question. Can a guy that is seen as being nice and affable fight back in a presidential primary against what you just heard? Yeah, absolutely. The answer is completely yes. Meekness is not weakness. I, I believe in the gospel. I believe Matthew 5, says, love your enemies. If you break in my house, I also believe in the Second Amendment. I'm going to make sure that we defend every single thing we love in this country. We have to ignore the far left by disproving their lies by our actions. Here's the funny thing. Uh, the host, Sonny, uh, she wants to be judged by the content of her character, not the color of her skin. The fact of the matter is America is the story of evolution. Evolution. Never told story of evolution in too many of our schools that are indoctrinating our kids instead of educating our kids. I'm not the exception. I'm actually the rule. Every kid trapped in a failing school today can look at big, big, big liberals, big labor unions and blame them. Every parent who wants a choice, look to the Republican Party, look to the GOP, but more importantly, look at Americans, African Americans, Hispanic Americans, the majority of Americans all agree on school choice. What's in the way of that? What's in the way of providing a child with a better education and a better future? The radical left. You, you must scare the daylights out of the left. I mean, even your campaign logo cannot go uncriticized by people on the left. You must be their worst nightmare, Senator. And I, I just, I swear, you put up with things that nobody else puts up with. Well, Trey, the good news is I believe in America. I have faith in America because I watched my grandfather, as you talked about in the beginning. This is a man who could not read, who was picking cotton as a kid. He believed then what some doubt now in the goodness of America. He told me himself, he said, son, you can be bitter or better, but you can't be both. Too many people today doubt the goodness of America. Too many people today want to buy into bitterness and victimhood and grievance and despair. I say, not on my watch. Let's tell the whole story of America rising. From cotton to Congress to a candidate for the highest office in the land. Senator Tim Scott in the great state of South Carolina, thank you for joining us. Yes, sir. We'll be right back with more of the Trey Gowdy podcast. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Ron DeSantis does not have the biography of recent GOP nominees for president. He was born and grew up in Florida, but his family was not famous, not steeped in finance or politics. They were decidedly middle class. His mother was a nurse. His father installed television boxes. He attended public schools, played in the Little League World Series, and did well enough in the classroom and on the baseball diamond to make it to Yale University, where he captained the baseball team. While at Yale, he signed up for the Navy, served in uniform in a number of capacities, and stayed in the military until shortly after he became governor of Florida. And as governor, he led Florida through the pandemic, earning praise from the right 
and derision from the left. And the people of Florida seemed to like his first term. He was reelected in overwhelming numbers last fall. And today he announced his candidacy to be the next president of the United States. And he joins us now for his first television interview since that announcement. And we will keep him longer than most guests so we can ask him about his plans for the country as well as how he will address the issues confronting our culture and our country. I can't promise you that I won't crash, but Fox News will not crash during this interview. Governor DeSantis, if you broke Twitter, my daughter and the Kardashians are going to be very upset with you. I I don't know if that's what happened with Elon Musk or not. Maybe you just had a big audience. We had a huge audience. It did. It was the biggest they'd ever had. It did break the Twitter space. And so we're really excited with the enthusiasm. But ultimately, it's about the future of our country. Uh, Trey, I'm running uh, to lead a great American comeback. We know the country's on the wrong track. We see it with our eyes. We feel it in our bones. We see the border being overrun. We see crime infesting the cities. We see the federal government making it more difficult for families to make ends meet. And we have a president who is a listless vessel, uh, not energetic, and not dealing with the key challenges that are facing our country. But it does not have to be this way. Our decline as a country is not inevitable. It is a choice. And I think we can choose a better pathway. And so what I will do is help restore normalcy to our communities, uh, integrity to our institutions, and sanity to our society. Truth needs to be the foundation of everything we do, and common sense can no longer be an uncommon virtue. We proved it could be done in Florida. We chose facts over fear when it wasn't popular. We chose education over indoctrination. And we've chosen law and order over rioting and disorder. Uh, If we can do it there, we can do it for the country. And the pledge I'll make for people is simply this. Uh, We need to win again as Republicans. We got to dispense with this culture of losing. And if you nominate me, uh, I pledge to you that on January 20th, 2025, at high noon, that I'll be the guy on the west side of the Capitol uh, with the left hand on the Bible and the right hand in the air taking the oath of office as the 47th president of the United States. No more excuses. We've got to get this one done. And anybody that's so inclined to help us, I would love to have your support at rondesantis.com. If you make a donation, maybe we can break that part of the Internet as well. Governor, you anticipated my first question, which is why. My second question would be, why now? You, you are very young in terms of political years. I don't even think you're 45 yet. So why now? And what distinguishes you from, from the other candidates? Are there policy differences or is it more about electability and how you would implement those policies, even if you agree on them? Well, why now? I think it's because the country's going in the wrong direction. If we have another four years of the Biden administration, uh, I think some of the damage is going to be irreversible. Uh, I think we have an opportunity now, kind of like the late 1970s when Jimmy Carter was president, uh, to really move the country in a much stronger direction uh, and really bring a lot of bold leadership to bear. Uh, Why me? Well, I think what we've been able to do in Florida is two things. One, we've had unprecedented policy success. All the things that we believe as Republicans or as conservatives For many, many years, we've been able to take those values and those principles and actually turn them into reality. Every single day, we put up big wins on the board, but we're doing that while also enjoying 
major political success. You alluded to it. We were able to win re-election by a historic margin, over 1.5 million votes. And you can't do that in a swing state like Florida just by getting Republicans. We were able to win counties like Miami-Dade County, which had voted for Hillary Clinton by 30 points in 2016. We not only won it, we won it by double digits. We earned 60 percent of the Hispanic vote. Uh, we won independence by 18 percentage points. And now, for the first time since the Civil War era, there's not a single Democrat elected in statewide office in the state of Florida. You've got to be able to win. And then when you get in office, you've got to be able to deliver results. And I think we've been able to do both of those as good or better than anybody in the country. All right. Speaking of delivering results, uh, if you were to become the president, one of the first issues you would confront is inflation. Uh, what would you do about inflation? And do you believe it is linked to deficit spending? And can deficit spending be addressed without addressing mandatory spending or what people call entitlements? Of course, the overspending is driving inflation. I mean, if you go back to March of 2020, you've seen massive amounts of debt added. You've seen the Federal Reserve print trillions and trillions of dollars. Anybody knew at the time, and people like our friend Thomas Massey were screaming from the rooftops at the time that it was going to lead to persistent inflation. So you need to spend less money. You also need to expand domestic energy production. Energy costs contribute to inflation. We have an abundance of resources here that this president doesn't want to use. So we will reverse Biden's energy policies very quickly. But we also need a Federal Reserve that's going to focus on maintaining a stable dollar. They should not be the economic central planner uh, for our country. They're not accountable to anybody. They're not elected by anybody. And yet their printing of money has really thrust us into this. They said there wouldn't be inflation. And yet here we are. Now they've been hiking interest rates and that hurts the economy. So we need a Fed focused on a stable dollar. Uh, and don't worry about trying to manipulate the rest of the economy. If a candidate for the Republican nomination or president says, I can balance the budget, I can restore fiscal sanity, and I can do so without touching mandatory spending or what others call entitlements, should that person be believed? Well, Trey, you know the math. I mean, at the end of the day, we're spending so much more. And it's a combination of both. I mean, there are some spending programs that are on autopilot that Congress doesn't even touch, and those have grown dramatically. You have also, though, seen a huge increase in what they call discretionary spending. Certainly in the last four or five years, Congress is spending at levels that you and I couldn't have even fathomed you know, back in the day. Uh, so I think it's a combination of all these things. You know, right now we have a situation where Joe Biden is refusing to do really anything uh, uh, to try to limit uh, how much money is being spent. And I think he's been singularly irresponsible in terms of how he's handled uh, the federal budget. All right, Governor, people hear words and sometimes use words like woke or culture wars. What is the role of the president in participating in culture wars? And, and, and I'll ask you specifically about education because many conservatives think that's a state issue, but that's also a battleground for what people call woke or culture wars. As president, what role do you play? I know governor, but as president, what role would you play? Well, first of all, the woke mind virus is basically a form of cultural Marxism. At the end of the day, it's an attack on the truth. And because it's a war on truth, I think we have no uh, choice but to wage a war on woke. So how does that work for a president? Some of it may be the bully pulpit, being willing to tell the truth and not being deluded 
by ideology, which we see in many aspects of our society. There are probably ways, though, that you can make a difference. Certainly, when you look at ESG and some of the things that's going on with major financial institutions in corporate America, we have every right to be pushing back on that. With education, you know, the federal government approves the accreditors for universities. There's a reason why universities are infested with things like DEI. Yes, yeah, some of it is they may want to do that, but some of it is the accreditors tell them you have to do that. Well, as president, I'll make sure we're approving accreditors uh, that are going to do the opposite, They're, that are going to say, you know what, we're going to accredit you if you are a colorblind university, if you're not trying to divide people uh, on the basis of race. So there are different tools at your disposal. It's not the same as, the, as, a, as a governor, uh, but I think you can have an impact across a wide variety of different areas. You know, Governor, when I think of dangerous places, I think of uh, Sudan, North Korea. Uh, I don't think of Florida. I don't think of a travel advisory as it relates to Florida. Uh, I'm going to let you take us to our first break by, by letting people know that it's OK. It's safe to travel to Florida, despite what the NAACP and I believe the chairman of the NAACP may actually live in Florida. So maybe his house is for sale. But I'll let you take us to the break yeah. by addressing the travel advisory. It's a typical political stunt. Um, first of all, Florida's crime rates at a 50-year low. Compare that to places like Chicago or Baltimore. I don't hear the NAACP talking about that. If you look at our education system, you know, we have school choice. That's one of the reasons why our black students perform as high as just about any black students in the country. We're second and third in fourth grade math and reading, respectively, because parents have options. You go to Baltimore, Chicago, some of these kids are more likely to get shot than to actually have a high quality education. I don't hear the NAACP talking about that. So we're proud of what we've been able to do. And oh, by the way, Trey, quarter one of 2023, Florida set yet another tourism record. And I can tell you, since I've been governor, some of the people who've contributed to our record tourism have been board members of the NAACP. How do I know? Because they put pictures of their Florida vacation on their social media accounts. So this is an attempt to create a phony narrative. But I think people are onto this stuff. They know what it is uh, and they take it with a grain of salt and they dismiss it. We'll be right back with more of the Trey Gowdy podcast. We're back with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who just announced he's running for president of the United States. He joins us for his first television interview since his announcement. Governor, you were on the Judiciary Committee. You were on the Oversight Committee. You had a very close up view of the Department of Justice and the FBI. If you become president, uh, what would you do to change or fix both of those entities? What are you looking for in an attorney general? And would you keep Chris Ray as the director of the FBI? No, I would not keep Chris Ray as director of the FBI. There'd be a new one on day one. I think that's very important. In terms of an attorney general, you need someone that's got a really strong backbone. You need somebody that knows if you're going in there and you're taking care of business, the Washington Post is not going to like you. New York Times is not going to like you. You're going to get attacked by CNN. And you've got to wear that as a badge of honor. You can't try to please polite society because otherwise you'll just get captured uh, by the institution itself. And I think the DOJ and FBI have lost their way. 
I think that they've been weaponized against uh, Americans who think like me and you, uh, and I think that they become very partisan. Part of the reason that's happened, Trey, is because Republican presidents have accepted the canard that the DOJ and FBI are, quote, independent. They are not independent agencies. They are part of the executive branch. They answer to the elected president of the United States. So as president, you have a responsibility to be involved in holding those agencies accountable clearing out people who are not doing the job and making sure that they're doing the people's business and they're not abusing their authority. For example, if the FBI or DOJ would ever collude with a tech company to try to censor information, everybody involved with that would be fired immediately if I were the president. And right now, I think those agencies have been able to go without any real accountability. And so guess what? When there's no accountability, the bad behavior is going to continue. All right, let's move to the border. Uh, legal immigration, illegal immigration. President Ron DeSantis does what? Does what on border security? Does what on the asylum process? What is your immigration plan for both legal and illegal immigration? Day one, it's a national emergency. We'll mobilize all resources to construct the border wall, shut the border down. We're not going to be entertaining asylum claims for people coming across the border illegally. Uh, we're going to make very clear about that. Uh, we're going to have things like remain in Mexico so we don't have the incentives to come illegally. We do need to hold these Mexican drug cartels accountable, uh, and we'll be looking at levers that we can pull to be able to do that. Uh, at the end of the day, nobody has a right to come to our country illegally. We, the American people, can determine what type of immigration system that we want. I think the purpose of immigration is to benefit our country. And so if people coming illegally does not benefit, which I don't think it is, then we shouldn't do it. Um, I think the legal immigration system needs to be geared, though, towards assimilating people. We used to do a pretty good job of that. Now it's almost like we try to incentivize people to come and not want to assimilate uh, into our country. So we're going to be very strong on the border. Uh, we'll finally get that done and take care of it because Republicans have been asking about this for years and years and years. I can tell you, Trey, when I tell people I'm going to do something, I follow through. I'll use all the levers at my disposal to be able to get it done, and we will finally put this issue to bed once and for all. Does your immigration plan include a wall, the completion of a wall, a full wall on the, on the, on the border with Mexico? Yes. Yeah, we will construct the border wall. I think it's too big of a border to only rely on personnel. You need to have that physical wall. And if we had a physical wall on the southern border, Biden would not be able to get away with as much shenanigans as he's getting away. The reason he's allowing the border to be open is because you have wide open spaces across thousands of miles of the border. Uh, that wall would stop a lot of that illegal immigration. And if there's other points where they're trying to do, then that's where you put the person. So I want a full wall uh, and we will mobilize whatever resources we need, including the military, to get it done. Let me ask you about a Florida issue that's also gone national. How did the dispute or fight or whatever word people want to use with Disney begin and how does it end? Well, in Florida, we believe in the protection of children. We believe it's inappropriate to be jamming things like transgender ideology into elementary school classrooms. And we had a bill to protect parents and children from that uh, in Florida. Disney opposed it. Uh, they tried to tank it. They usually get whatever they want. And throughout history in Florida, 
But with me as governor, that wasn't going to fly. We signed the bill uh, and we protected our kids. Uh, but I think Disney has gone down the road of wanting to put sexualization in the children's programming. So the company, I think, has lost its way in terms of the values that maybe they had when Walt established it or when it first started in Florida. What ended up happening, though, is that they had this cushy arrangement that they got decades ago where they had their own government in Central Florida. They were exempt from laws that everyone else had to follow, and they get, were, got massive tax breaks and even racked up municipal debt. So what we said was, look, we, we're not comfortable having this company on a pedestal joined at the hip with the state of Florida. Our values have just gone in different directions. And so we ended their self-governing status. They now have to live under the same laws as everybody else, and they have to pay their fair share of taxes. So they're suing us to try to recover their corporate welfare. Uh, you have no right to corporate welfare. Florida's a great business environment. People are making money hand over fist, but it's just not good enough for them to live like Universal or SeaWorld. They want to have their own special arrangement, but there's a new sheriff in town, uh, and that's not going to happen. And at the end of the day, uh, we will never waver uh, in our defense of families and children. And as a father of a six, a five, and a three-year-old, I strongly believe that parents should be able to send their kids to school, have them watch cartoons, or just be kids without someone trying to shove an agenda down their throats. Is that an example of something Governor DeSantis might uh, become involved with, but President DeSantis would not? I mean, the president has a different role. There, there would not be that, I guess, interconnectivity with a private business. Or, or do you think it's also appropriate for a president to do that? Well, if there was somehow a federally conferred private government given to a corporation like you had with Disney, then that could potentially be something that you would do. But I don't think that that exists anywhere else in the country. So I think this was a unique setup involving the state of Florida and this one company. And it started many, many decades ago. But clearly, it's not something that was viable uh, going forward. So I just don't think you would have the same set of facts, uh, a president vis-a-vis -vis what a governor would do in this situation. But we will, as president, lean in against woke ideology and against the sexualization of children. It's wrong, Trey, what they're trying to do to these kids. We're not going to abide by it. And in Florida, we say we're the state where woke goes to die. You know, as president, I'm going to make sure woke ideology ends up in the dustbin of history. Let me ask you about another contentious issue. For decades, conservatives wanted the issue of abortion sent to the states. Uh, Florida, I think you recently signed signed into law legislation in Florida. The word life is mentioned in the U.S. Constitution. I mean, education is not, marriage is not, privacy is not, but the word life is. So is it really the best position for conservatives to, to argue that there should be 50 different definitions of when life begins, or should that be the same definition for the entire country, given the fact the word does, does exist in the U.S. Constitution? Well, I've been proud as governor to stand for a culture of life, and I think all Republicans need to do that. As you alluded to, we were able to sign uh, legislation protecting unborn child with a detectable heartbeat, and we think that that's a humane thing to do, uh, and it's similar to what Governor Reynolds did in Iowa, uh, and I applaud her for that. Uh, Dobbs returned the issue to the elected representatives of the people. And so I think that there's, uh, there's role for both the federal uh, and the states. Uh, I think at the end of the day, uh, fighting for life and protecting life uh, really is a bottom-up movement. I think we've been able to have great successes um, at the local level. I am concerned 
about a democratic administration with a trifecta trying to nationalize uh, abortion all the way up until birth. That would be a violation of what states like Florida have done uh, to protect life. It would be a violation of what states like Iowa have done uh, to protect life. And I think that that would be an abuse of power uh, for them to try to override every single pro-life protection in this country and allow abortion all the way up to the moment of birth, which 90% of Americans find to be truly horrific. Uh, well, let's pick California and, and, and Idaho. Is, is that just the price we pay for federalism, that, that life begins at conception in Idaho, but it begins much, much, much later in California? Is that, is that the price that, that we pay for federalism? I don't think it's the price you pay for federalism. I think that there's just a practical reality that the country's divided on the issue. And so the question is, you know, how are you going to be able to save, you know, more lives? And I think obviously Idaho is going to be able to do a lot on their own. They would not be able to do as much uh, if they ran it all through Washington, D.C. So some of this is a matter of strategy. Some of it is a matter of, you know, what could you do to be able to advance the ball forward? Clearly in California, you know, you are going to have very, very hostile views. They want to have um, abortion all the way up till birth. I think they actually allow it post-birth, if you can believe that, which I think is truly horrific. All right. You uh, wore the uniform. If you are elected president, you may be the first one in a while uh, to have worn the uniform. How would you address the ongoing war in Eastern Europe between Russia and Ukraine on day one of a Ron DeSantis presidency? Well, first, I think what we need to do as a veteran is recognize that our, our military uh, has become politicized. Uh, you talk about gender ideology, you talk about things like global warming that they're somehow concerned, and that's not the military that I served in. We need to return our military uh, to focusing on uh, commitment, focusing on the core values and the core mission. That would be something that I could take care of on day one. Uh, there'll be a new sheriff in town as commander in chief. And I think you'll see recruiting start to get back to where it needs to be because people don't want to join a woke military. And I think it's been really, really problematic. Look, in terms of what's going on over in Eastern Europe, um, you know, I'd like to see a, a settlement of this. I do not want to see a wider war. I think it's completely unknowable what it will look like in January of 2025. Uh, but I would not want to see the United States with our troops uh, get enmeshed uh, in a war in Russia or in Ukraine. Governor, there is a very, very slight chance that you will pick up a nickname at some point in the next couple of days or weeks. Certainly, perhaps from one, uh, one fellow contender, maybe from more than one, I don't know. How do you run a robust campaign uh, in, a, in a vast and varied field and still bring everyone back? Because whoever the Republican nominee is, is going to have to have everyone uh, to win the general election. So how do you run robustly, um, even sometimes when it's going to be tough, uh, and still keep supporters of other candidates? Well, look, uh, I don't mind being called different things. I've been called everything but a child of God as it is. Uh, so that doesn't phase me. Uh, you can call me whatever you want. Uh, just make sure you call me a winner because that's what we've done in the state of Florida. And that's exactly what we would do nationally, not only in the election, uh, but actually bringing all these great policies to bear. Uh, I can tell you, Trey, in Florida, we united the Republicans like no one's ever done. I think I got 98% of Republicans in my reelection. Uh, we also 
really expanded the tent, and I think that's the only way that you can do it. Uh, there'll be slings and arrows, but I'm a big boy. I can take it. You know, there's a lot of people that have given a lot more than that uh, so that this country can be free. You can see uh, their tombstones in places like Arlington National Cemetery. So if the sacrifice I have to make is people are going to call me names, uh, that pales into comparison with so many people have done for me uh, throughout history so that I could live in a free country. Day one. Uh, you, you mentioned noon on Inauguration Day, day one, you get to the White House. What is the first thing President Ron DeSantis would do? And what are the first three things that you would try to do legislatively? So first thing you would do executive with your executive power. And then what, what would be your first three priorities legislatively? Well, so I, I think we said, you know, the border, uh, there's a lot you can do ripping out uh, Biden's anti-American energy policies, which you probably could do most of that executive. You'll probably need to do some of that uh, legislative as well. Uh, and then reconstitutionalizing the administrative state. Uh, we have a bureaucracy that's totally out of control. You need to be willing to use Article II power uh, to bring the administrative state to heel. I will do that. I think Congress also has a role in reining in the abuses through both the power of the purse and through making sure that they're legislating clear and defined laws that aren't delegating huge swaths of power uh, to unelected bureaucrats. Trey, one thing I think we can do legislatively is national school choice. Uh, we've done it in Florida. It's made a huge difference for low-income families. I look at places like Chicago and Baltimore and L.A. The teachers' unions run those areas. I don't think there's any way that you're ever going to give those kids a lifeline unless we come in through a tax credit program uh, and offer scholarships to some of these kids. But as it is now, uh, these kids have no chance in those dysfunctional environments. This would be a major lifeline. I think we can get it done, and I think it'd make a big difference. Governor, you represent a state surrounded by, by, by oceans, uh, by water, and, and, and have had a series of hurricanes. What is your view on climate change, and, and what is the role of government um, in, in addressing it? The hurricanes are not, uh, they have not increased in number. People try to say when we had Ian that it was because of climate change. But if you look at the first 60 years uh, uh, from 1900 to 1960, we had more major hurricanes hit Florida than in the 60 years since then. Uh, this is something that's a fact of life. Uh, in the Sunshine State. Uh, I've always rejected the politicization uh, of the weather. Uh, and I think what we should be doing in the United States is focusing on being energy independent, making sure we're utilizing the resources. And oh, by the way, uh, when you have market-based solutions, when you innovate, in Florida, we've seen emissions go down dramatically in the last 10 years, uh, but that's through market and innovation. That is not through mandates. And I think what Biden wants to do, he wants to take us in a direction where we're like Germany, where we don't have a reliable power grid, where prices spike. I mean, California, for example, they have a tough time keeping the lights on and yet they want to ban the internal combustion engine. People are going to plug in, what, another 20 million EVs? How are they going to be able to support that? So we got to get real here, and we got to understand that uh, reliable energy is something that is absolutely essential for a free society, and we will make sure to deliver that as president. President Ron DeSantis would deal with China how? To recognize that there are four, foremost geopolitical threat uh, I think our economies have become way too intermingled. If you look during the Soviet era, we were never intermingled with their economy. Now we have critical things that we rely on our foremost adversary for, 
during COVID, it was almost everything. So I think we need to reshore some of these critical manufacturing items. Uh, I think we need to have a robust relationship with Japan, Korea, India, uh, Australia to make sure that we can check uh, Chinese expansionism in the Pacific. We also have to recognize that China is getting a foothold in our own Western Hemisphere. Uh, I think we need a 21st century version of the Monroe Doctrine uh, where we're making sure that our own backyard uh, is a freedom zone. We've got a lot of leftist governments in Latin America that have invited them in. Uh, I think that's really bad for our national security, uh, but we have to understand that China is a threat. I think Biden, for whatever reasons, uh, has, been, uh, has been lack on China. And I think he's begging China uh, to do some type of a deal with uh, Ukraine and Russia. And I think that would be a mistake to involve Xi in that. Governor, I know you have a young family. I'm going to let you go home and, and put them to bed with this one last question. Do you plan on participating in all the debates? And would you have a word of counsel for any candidates that were maybe equivocating on whether or not to participate in all the debates? <laughs> I think we should debate. I think the people want to hear it. Uh, you know, I grew up blue collar, working minimum wage jobs and learned nobody's entitled to anything in this world, Trey. You've got to earn it. And I think all of us have to go out and earn it. That's exactly what I intend to do. And I think the debates are a big part of the process. Governor Ron DeSantis, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you. Listen ad free with a Fox News podcast plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad free on the Amazon. Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.